Scripture reading this morning is Psalm 40, verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ashby. And good morning, everyone. So great to be back with you all. Um, I'm just thrilled to be able to teach uh, this morning and share a word with you from the book of Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be spending some time this morning in chapter 2. Love that old hymn, Standing on the Promises. I heard a preacher say it many, many, many years ago, a lot of Christians are just sitting on the premises. I thought that was a, quite a neat contrast. Uh, but uh, we are standing on the promises of God. And if you are new to the church, maybe you don't know a lot about the Bible or even how to have a relationship with God or other believers, I want you to know I am particularly glad that you're here this morning. And this is a place where you can ask as many questions as you want. And folks are going to love you well in Jesus' name. Everybody in this room had to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're all still a work in progress. So you may be just getting started, and that's okay. Uh, Don't give up on us, because we're not going to give up on you, okay? And uh, look forward to having more conversations about what it means to follow Jesus in this place. Uh, It's been a great week for uh, our family. Uh, We have just uh, been blessed to be able to be with our children some and our grandchildren some and and to be able to travel uh, well. Thank you for your prayers. Appreciate that so much. I do need a ride to the airport today, by the way. So if anybody's going right after assembly, let me know. I think Jackie's trying to work out something, but it's already done. See how easy that was? I don't even have to ask. It's just wonderful. Uh, You have so many servants in this church who are helping with rides, uh, with housing, um, people who are saving the church money. So we're being very good stewards in this uh, partnership time that we're spending uh, together. I don't know if you know this or not, but rental car prices are through the roof. Did you know that? Uh, apparently, when the sons came back to town, they like quadrupled overnight for this weekend. And uh, so a rental car is not much. It's only like $500, I think, for two days. Uh, so, so I'm grateful for rides and for servant hearts. If you want to get in on that action and say, hey, I'll be happy to give you a ride to and from the airport, well, just call the church office. Let them know. We'll, uh, before it's all said and done, probably save about $5,000 just in rental car fees. So uh, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Okay, so we have this prayer thing going on now. 10 to 4. 
For those of you who work the night shift, that can be 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. if you want it to be, okay? Or it can be uh, 10 a.m. in the morning, 2 p.m. in the afternoon uh, for those of us who are on regular schedules. The point is to just be dedicated to prayer. And I'm going to say a lot more about prayer as we dig deeper into the book of Nehemiah this morning. I love Chuck's announcement earlier over in Josh's old office that now is set up as a prayer room. And there is this wonderful book in there. It's a prayer journal. And the goal of that prayer journal is to share that with your next preaching minister. Can you imagine getting that as a gift? After you've just been here for a few days and you're able to go back and chronicle the prayers of the saints in this place. Uh, I would just be so humbled by that, to receive that gift, knowing that over these many months that I have been prayed for before my arrival. And so please um, take advantage of that time, that space, and be sure to go in and list your thoughts and your prayers there. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about prayer here in just a bit. So last Sunday, we began a series on the book of Nehemiah. This is a book in the Old Testament we mentioned last week. It actually used to be Ezra, Nehemiah, one book, but over time, those two uh, books became distinctive. Um, We studied last week about a man whose heart, whose head was aligned with the, the heart and the head of God. And as a result, uh, this individual was able to lead God's people in becoming a people who, who found courage to listen to the call of God and who live for the purposes of God. And really, it's the same thing that we as a body of believers are preparing our hearts for, uh, to be a community of faith that comes alongside People and, and we help them find courage to be overcomers in this world, to live a life of purpose, particularly in, in this church as together we uh, seek Jesus and find Jesus and share Jesus. And so today we're going to continue our study of the book of Nehemiah. And let's go ahead and just dive right in as we take a look in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In the month of uh, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Remember last week we read that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? When you're not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I want you to notice what Nehemiah says here. I was very much afraid. But, verse 3, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. 
If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, well, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residents. Uh, I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Aha, a little twist there. We'll talk about it in just a second. So last Sunday, we set the stage for this study. Uh, you may remember that the temple uh, had been restored through the leadership of an individual called Zerubbabel. We read about him in the first few chapters of Ezra. The people's identity being restored, at least for the most part, through the work of Ezra. Um, and even though those two momentous things have happened, still the walls of the city, well, they're in ruins. And four months have passed since uh, Nehemiah heard this news about the city walls. He's distraught, sad, but he's not overcome. And why is that? Well, let's take a look at the text today and see. So I want to go back and revisit some of these verses, but I want to break it down a little bit verse by verse. So we read earlier in verse 1, chapter 2, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to him. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says here, I was very much afraid. Now, there's something that happens here that just really gets my attention, and I, and I want to put this out here again, particularly for those of you who may be new to the Christian faith. It's just one of these observations that kind of jumps off the page at me as I see this interaction between Nehemiah and the king. And the observation is this, is that feeling better is not the most important outcome of prayer. This is a little bit difficult sometimes for us to get our head around. Oh, just pray about it and you will feel better. Okay, I want to let you know something. Sometimes you may pray and actually feel worse. Okay? You may be so burdened for someone or for some situation. And the conscious awareness that you have when you are in that season of prayer, it may change, actually alter your physical state. You may pray to God and not feel better at all. Are you with me? Are you with me? You see, Nehemiah prays here to God. But even as he prays to God, even as he has confidence in God, there is still the sphere that is very much part of this equation because when Nehemiah asks what he is about to ask, it is possible that Artaxerxes is going to say, off with his head. 
It's very, very possible. So sometimes when we pray, we will feel better, and praise God for that. But sometimes when we pray, we might not. But that's okay, because prayer is not so much about what we feel. Prayer is much more about what we are hoping that God will do. Because prayer is not just a conversation like you and I have. Prayer is supernatural in nature. We are asking God to work. We are asking God to move. But our humanity is always very much part of the mix, right? So even though our prayer can help dispel anxiety, even though our prayer can help us overcome fear, sometimes prayer is not going to make us feel better. So just be aware of that when we're on our knees before our Father in heaven in prayer. We have this description of wine being placed before the king. And so it probably lets us know that there's some sort of a festival going on. Um, the, the Persian kings were well known uh, for this. We see about their love of uh, festivals, if you'll just read the book of Esther, chapter 1. So Artaxerxes is in a bit of a party mood, okay? But Nehemiah, when he comes in, he's kind of all gloom and doom. The Hebrew literally says this. The king asks him, why is your face so bad? Okay? Now, I'm not sure you want to use that question in your conversations with your family members, right? So your child is in the back seat and they're scowling. Hey, why is your face so bad? Okay, that's probably not a good way to ask. Another way that it could be rendered, though... In a term that we might understand is, why are you so depressed? Nehemiah, what's going on? Why are you so down? There's a party party going on here. Everybody should be enjoying themselves. What's the deal, Nehemiah? Why the long face? Now, it's interesting here that the king doesn't wait for Nehemiah to respond. Nor does Nehemiah jump in with a really quick answer. The king seems concerned, although based on Nehemiah's response, he could be angry, his tone may be sarcastic, we really don't know for sure. But regardless, he asks, are you unwell? Are you unhappy about something? And and what is Nehemiah's response? What does the text say? I was very much afraid. Literally, the Hebrew says, a terrible fear came over me. And so I want to ask you a question. How often might we find ourselves in a similar situation? And it's, it's probably unlikely that most of us in this audience will find ourselves facing life or death depending on how we express our faith. But I'm pretty sure there will be situations where we experience ridicule or put down or some type of bias. We may even begin experiencing loss of income. Possibly um, a lawsuit As we practice our faith, this is getting kind of real, right? In this day and time, in the culture that we now live in. But if you remember Jesus' words 
to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, there's one thing that Jesus promises. Do you remember what it is? One guarantee he makes. You will face what? You will face persecution. Because of who? Because of me, he says. You will face persecution. It's a guaranteed. The world, and I just think we just need to be honest about this. The world typically hates that which it doesn't understand. Um, And there are many in this world who don't understand the love of God. Many who don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus. There are a lot of people who don't understand the the power of the Holy Spirit. And, And we can try to punch back when we encounter resistance from people like this, or or we can pray, and even though it may be fearful sometimes walking into uncharted waters, we can trust that God will equip us for these different situations and conversations and, and times of persecution. We see it happen here in Nehemiah. I think God, who was the God of yesterday, is the God of today, who is the God of tomorrow, right? So he can equip us in the exact same way. I love this um, insight by Chip Ingram in a book called Holy Ambition. He writes, radical faith is choosing to step out to fulfill God's clearly defined will at possible great personal risk and sacrifice. And I think there's truth in that. If you think about it, it's one of the reasons why God chose the church as the vessel to continue to grow the kingdom because, you know, they might be able to, to cause one of us our jobs or they might be able to, to do something to, to impact negatively one of our families or maybe even a couple, but, but it's, it's hard to do that to the entire body at one time. It's one of the reasons that we as the body of Christ take care of one another. We do good to those who are of the household of faith, Right. And I love this analogy. I heard a minister friend of mine share this a few years ago. He was talking about, you know, one little snowflake, one little snowflake can't do a whole lot of good. But you put a bunch of those together, you can shut down Atlanta, Georgia, right? So sometimes one of us may not be able to feel like we're making a lot of impact, but all of us together, if we're together in Christ, that could be a game changer, The story continues in Nehemiah 2, verse 3. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Oh, flattery sometimes gets you everywhere, right? So so I think God prompts him here to use protocol in the court of the king, proper protocol. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad where the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And so here's Nehemiah lesson 2, at least one that I drew from the text today, and that is this. Prayer might not change the situations we face, but prayer prepares us to face any situation. Are you with me? It might not change the situation. Sometimes it does, because that's God's plan. Sometimes God wants us to learn something else when the answer to the prayer is no, or when the answer to the prayer is wait. Regardless, as people of prayer, and I'm not just talking about an occasional prayer here and there. I'm talking about a steady rhythm 
of conversation with God day by day by day prepares us for any situation we face, no matter what it is. The story doesn't stop here. We see now how this plays out in this interaction with the king because the king asks, here's the prayer answered, what do you want as, as Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven? So a couple of things here that I want to just draw your attention to, and what I look for when I study the text is what, what seems to be a key theme that jumps off the page at me? What is something that we should be able to take from the text and apply into our daily walk as believers? This is a lesson that I, I see as I'm watching this interaction take place, not just between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes, but also between Nehemiah and God. And so here's what's going on. For believers... There are always two conversations going on at the same time. Just think about this. There are always two conversations happening at the same time. Now, the implications of that are just, it's just profound. As a believer who has received the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, you never, ever, ever, ever are alone. Never. Even when you are in conversation with others, it's like there's always a side conversation going on with the Lord. Nehemiah models beautifully for us what we can practice as believers in all situations because when I am talking to others, I'm also talking to God. And that prepares my head and my, and my heart in ways that have the potential to fully align our destinies with God's desired outcomes. And I want you to imagine, in every conversation, in every major decision, in every life moment, God is always with you. Always. And here's the deal. When you call out to God, you never get a busy signal. Everyone under 30 is asking, what's a busy signal? I I, I understand that. Your parents and your grandparents can explain it to you. But the point is, you tell me, are we ever alone? No, we are never, ever alone. And so as a result of that, I may be having a conversation with you, but I'm also connected at a much deeper level, to my Father in heaven. So we see Nehemiah growing in boldness here. I don't think it's because of his personality. I'm not even sure it's because of his leadership gifts, even though he has that. I believe it is because the power of God is convicting him, preparing him for this particular moment. And he answers the king, If it pleases you, king, if I found favor in your sight... Let him, let the king, send me to a city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Here's another reality that I see when I look at this text, and it is this, the conversations with God, because all of this has been bathed in prayer. Conversations with God radically changes our conversations with others. When I'm totally keyed in with my father, When there is a rhythm to my prayer life that is consistent, when I am praying without ceasing, as Paul talks about when he writes to the book, the church in Thessalonia, when that type of prayer rhythm is going on, it changes my conversations with you. It changes my conversations with others. 
It helps create a clearer picture of who God is. I love this uh, story. You may have heard this before. Uh, it actually is derived from an interaction of uh, Sir Ken Robinson um, of a little girl who was in a drawing session. She was six years old, and she was in the back of the classroom drawing. And the teacher said this little girl almost never paid attention. Uh, but in this particular drawing lesson, she did. Um, and the teacher was really fascinated. So she went over to the little girl, and she said, Well, what are you drawing, sweetie? And the little girl said, Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, well, they will in a minute. (laughs) Right? So I've probably heard that story before. But here's the thing. When When we pray, when we pray, God begins working on the canvas of our hearts. And a picture of God begins to emerge through us. And over time, that picture of God becomes more clearly visible to those around us. So Mesa Church of Christ, in a world filled with quick fixes, and and where much of what we do is driven by very shallow, very emotion-filled responses, People who are diving into the deep recesses of prayer are the people who are revealing the true nature of God to a world that so desperately needs to see not just what God looks like, but to understand how much He loves us, how much He cares for us. When we're in this type of rhythm of prayer, when we're in this this rhythm of conversation with God and becoming deeper and deeper and deeper as followers of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are more empowered, typically more emboldened to to be about the business of God regardless of the context that we are in. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and how long will it be before you get back? You see, the king's interest is piqued here by this man of faith and by the request that he's making And so it pleased the king to actually send Nehemiah. So then the king sets a time. And Nehemiah is growing more and more emboldened as the the conversation progresses. If it pleases you, could I also have letters of passage, he asks. And may I also have a letter to to Asaph so that I can have timber to rebuild uh, once we get there, once we're on site. And because the gracious hand of who was on me? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. The king granted my request. And so he goes to the governors of the trans-Euphrates. He gives the king's letters. The king also sent army and cavalry along with him, giving him even more than he asks for. I love this phrase here. It's not in the text, but I believe we see it in the dynamic of the story. Folks, Nehemiah is all in. He is all in. And he is asking for everything. (laughs) And because of his boldness, the king ultimately even gives him more than what he asks for. It's just so fascinating to me. So here's what I think happens when we're all in. I think when we are all in, I think that prepares us to go all out. When we're all in, it prepares us to go all out for God. And every time we do that, 
Every time we step into our faith, every time we trust the Lord, every time we step out boldly, what is a guarantee of what's going to happen next? Some of you have been believers a long time. So whenever we step out in faith, what's, what's guaranteed to happen next? The enemy's coming, right? He's always on the prowl. He's always on the lookout. He's looking for a way to derail us, to deter us, to try to convince us, ah, you really don't believe this. You're, you're, you, you don't really think this is true. Or there's a better alternative over here. Whatever the situation, whatever the lie might be. And so we see just as soon as the favor of God, the hand of God is upon Nehemiah, what happens immediately? There's some naysayers who enter the picture. These two individuals, Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, they hear about what's going on, and they're much disturbed, the text says. Very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Because if the Israelites start doing better, what does that mean for these officials? Well, they're going to start doing worse, right? And uh, not going to get to be the ones in power, not going to get to be the ones who call the shots, And so I want you to rest in this truth this morning. There are many oppressors, but there is only one God. And I pray that we keep our eyes on that, that we trust, regardless of what's happening around us. Regardless of how good it is or the complete opposite, how bad it is. No matter how many people are railing against God, there is still just one God. And he sent his one son, Jesus, Um, that we might live with him forever. You and I may never stand in the court of a king who holds the power of life or death over us. We may never stand in such a court. However, we stand every day in the court of public opinion. And in some ways, It's just as difficult as the court that Nehemiah stood in those many years ago. And this is true no matter your age. And um, Satan will come after you. He is no respecter of persons. If you're three years old, Satan will come after you. He is the worst of child abusers. If you're 80 years old, Satan will try to come after you. You may be 10. You may be spending the night with a friend. And your friend wants to show you this really cool website. And by the way, if a friend ever asks, hey, you want to see something really cool? It's always good to ask, I don't know, what is it, before you make the commitment, right? Even if you're 10, if you are already in a rhythm of prayer, you can look your friend in the eye and you can say, oh, no, sorry, man, that's just not for me. Even as a 10-year-old, God can give you the courage to call your parents or text your parents and say, hey, mom, dad, can you come get me? I'm going to tell you something. If you even just explain an inkling of what's going on, there is not a Christian parent, surely, within the sound of my voice, who will say, no, you really just really need to hang in there and get over it. No, they're going to come get you because your spiritual well-being is more important 
than missing the last quarter of a football game or whatever might be going on. You may be a teenager and you're in a situation where your friends are making fun of you for being a Christian. But I want you to remember, God is always with you. And here's something you might not realize, but I believe this to be true with all my heart. Your friends are actually much more likely to respect you if you stand up for what you believe in. I believe that to be true. You may be in college, and for the very first time, you are surrounded by professors and possibly fellow students who openly mock Christianity. Stand your ground, college student. Remember, you're never alone. You may be in a job where the boss is pressuring you to hide figures. You may be in a marriage where Satan is trying to destroy that love between you. You may be a social media-aholic trying to balance your time on screen with face-to-face relationships. I want you to hear this. No matter the court you're in, God is always there. All the time, every time, asking you to trust, to believe, to step into and to stay in his will. Why is it so important that we stay prayed up? Because if you haven't been in one of these courts, here's a guarantee, here's a promise, you can can bank on it. If you haven't been in one, you will. You will. I love this quote by Richard Foster on prayer. He, he writes, prayer frees us to be controlled by God. To pray is to change. There is no greater liberating force in the Christian life than prayer. To enter the gaze of the holy is to never be the same To bathe in the light and quiet wonder and glad surrender is to be slowly, permanently transformed. There is a richer inward orientation, a deep hunger for communion. We feel as if we are being taken over by a new control center, and so we are. Prayer made all the difference for Nehemiah. I believe prayer can make all the difference for us. You may think, well, I'm not very good at it. So let me ask you a fundamental question. What's the best way to get better at something? To practice. (laughs) To To just pray. I want you to think about this with me. Obviously, you can tell I go to the gym, right? Obviously. When I go to the gym, it is filled with exercise equipment. I've never gotten stronger by going into the gym and just looking at the exercise equipment. I've never gotten stronger. That's a really nice weight bench. Man, all right, good workout, good workout. 
Now, how do you get stronger? How do you get stronger when you go to the gym? What do you do on purpose? You put yourself in conflict with the machines so that you can get stronger. How do we get stronger in prayer? You just pray. You put yourself in conversational space with God. You hash it out with God. If you don't understand something, you say to God, I don't understand this, Lord. I'm not getting this. There is this wrestling match sometimes that can happen when we pray to our Father in heaven. Jacob did that. He walked away with a limp, but he also walked away with a new name. Totally changed because of his interaction with the Lord. If you don't know where to begin, go for what I call low-hanging fruit. Just start by praying the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Begin with the 23rd Psalm. Just pray that scripture over and over. Pray Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. Find these beautiful, powerful, life-giving prayers in Scripture and just start there. And the more you pray, the deeper you will become. And the more prepared you will be for any situation. And in these times, if we ever needed anything, surely we need people who are as dedicated to prayer as Nehemiah was. And that's my challenge to you, not just for this week, but literally for the rest of your lives. And there will be seasons when your prayer focus is not as fully aligned maybe as it should be, just like there are seasons of everything else in our lives where we have ebb and flow. But my hope and my prayer for you, it is the one anchor, the one discipline that you'll come back to again and again and again. So that, so that, no matter the situation, you'll find yourself prepared. We're going to share a song together. And even as we sing this song, I know there are going to be people in this room who are praying. Praying uh, for uh, broken and contrite hearts uh, that we will fully surrender to the will of the Lord. Perhaps you're ready to set up a Bible study and you would like to, to begin that conversation. Maybe you're here today, you want to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, to begin a brand new walk with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, reformed, remade new in his image. Perhaps there's something else on your heart, a prayer for healing, a prayer for forgiveness. Uh, a few of the shepherds will be down front as we get ready to sing this next song together. If you don't want to come down here by yourself, just grab somebody, okay, and, uh, and come, down, uh, come down together. Let's do that now if the need is there as we stand together and sing.